I appreciate you so very, very much. <clears throat> Well, that song I chose because it kind of goes, well, right along with the message this afternoon. And while I'm getting all set up here, let me ask you a couple of questions. Don't even have this in the notes. This is just free. Um, question. How's your faith? You're very welcome. How's your faith? Question. How's your prayer life? Why do I ask those questions? Well, because... I want to ask you this question, and it's rhetorical. I don't want anyone to answer me. This is between you and God. I ask because are you experiencing answers to all your prayers? Maybe so. Maybe some. Maybe a few. Maybe none at all. I don't know. That's not up to me. I don't need to know. The title of this afternoon's message is it's between you and God. It's between you and God. So it's time once again to join together with these questions in mind, I suppose. Joining together in our gospel study. And if you're not already there, please open your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter number 11. <clears throat> Mark chapter number 11. Our text today picks up from last week on the following day, the next morning, as Jesus and his 12 apostles, and perhaps other disciples as well, are on their way back up to Jerusalem. So let's recall for just a minute from last week, during that same journey from Bethany up to Jerusalem, the day before our text today, Jesus saw afar off. He encountered a fig tree in full leaf, if you remember which should have had much ripe fruit ready for the harvest. But there was none. And the disciples all heard, according to the scripture, they all heard the condemnation that Jesus spake in response to his evaluation of the deceptiveness of the tree. Now in just a moment... In our text, we'll see the outcome of that whole situation, and we'll find out some wisdom also that Jesus has imparted as he taught the disciples along their way. Before we get there, we did also see last week how Jesus had to purge and clean out the temple as it had been turned into more of a marketplace than it was a house of prayer that it should have been. Now those that were there seemingly and evidently had become much more concerned with their own welfare and profit from uh, what they were doing rather than keeping the righteousness and the holiness of the temple as their first priority. It is though, if you really think about it, it's almost not unexpected. Now, what does that mean? It's almost expected. It's almost not unexpected, given if you consider that just as, as Jesus had pointed out directly, when the teaching and the preaching becomes strictly based upon the traditions of how doctrines have evolved 
to fit the needs of the day. When the doctrine that's being preached is evolved to fit the need of the day as it's perceived, it begins to oppose the truth as God has preserved it. Jesus told us in Mark, uh, in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, as he was speaking to the Pharisees, he said, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered. This is what happens when people forget about or maybe, we, maybe purposely ignore the second part of Proverbs 3.5. We all know Proverbs 3.5, do we not? And many times the very first part of that is, boy, that's a great phrase that I'm just going to say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But they forget about the second half. The second half says, and lean not unto your own understanding. We like that first half, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, but we tend to dislike giving up control of things. So oftentimes when we recite that, trust in the Lord, well, I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. And I'll try to understand what he's doing, and as long as it makes sense to me, I'll go forward with that. But that kind of leaves out, lean not unto my own understanding. So as Jesus was walking with his disciples here in our text, he addressed this whole group in response to Peter's amazement. And he does so to ensure that they all had the guidance that they would need to live a successful life as a believer. Don't we need guidance to live a successful life as a believer? Yes, we do. I do. Well, you're smarter than I am, so at least I do. Anyway, we're going to go with that. So follow along in your Bibles, if you would, Mark chapter 11, and find your way to start at verse number 20. And in the morning, the Bible says, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedst is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Verse 25 says, And when ye stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Three thoughts from this text briefly this afternoon. From this text I want to look at having the right faith. Having the right faith. Secondly, having the right desires. And then thirdly, Having rightness with all. Having rightness with all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look to this message, it's between me and you. It's between you and God. Father, I'd ask that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. But more so and more importantly, Father, I'd ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me, would fill each and every heart that hears this message, that hears your word, Oh, God, there's no possible way that I can do your word justice. 
but the Holy Spirit of God can give us all the understanding that we individually need and that we corporately need as a church family and as a body of believers so that, Father, when we leave this place, Lord, between your word from this morning, starting right with Sunday school to the morning message to now this afternoon, oh, may you affect such a positive change in our lives that, Lord, we'll look like different folks leaving here today. That when we go to work tomorrow morning or when we encounter someone after this service or after this day, that, Father, they'll realize something has changed and it's become better. And not because of us, but, Father, because of you. God wants you to affect mighty change in our hearts and our lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin, have the right faith. Now we all know that faith is absolutely central and integral to the Christian life. Now while the word faith, if you were to do a search in your Bibles for the word faith, just that five letter word, it only occurs twice in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Wait a minute, well, that can't be true. But it is. Now, the principle of faith is absolutely throughout all of Scripture. But that word faith, 200 and some odd times, I think 200 and what did it say, 238 times or something like that in the Scriptures, only twice in the Old Testament. Meaning that since Christ has entered the scene, our lives ought to be all about centered on faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, if we were to look at the Old Testament instances, it is in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And it happens to be in chapter 2 and verse 4. Hundreds of years before the incarnation of Christ as a newborn babe on earth, we are given the very principle itself of what faith should be. When the prophet records the inspired words of God, he says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up, meaning his soul which is puffed up, his soul which is self-righteous. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now we can, and oftentimes we do, don't we? We put faith and confidence and trust in a lot of things. And we put faith and confidence and trust in a lot of ideas and, and in people. Might I give you a couple of examples? We put a lot of faith and trust and confidence in doctors and in bankers and in preachers, just to name a few. Perhaps a majority of the time it works out okay that we put our trust and confidence and faith in these people or things or ideas. But what happens when that thing that we're trusting in is broken and needs to be repaired? Oh. What happens when the idea that we are trusting in or putting confidence in or putting some faith in is suddenly proven ill-fated or not actually a good idea? Or what happens when that person that we're trusting in, that we have confidence in, is having a really bad day? Now there have been, I, I have to say, there have been many would-be faithful believers that have been turned away from God because the one ministering to them had gone the way of the Pharisees. Or that one ministering to them has given over to 
self-serving practices. And like those that Jesus drove out of the temple, they have presented and they've preached maybe partial truths or outright falsehoods for the purpose of self-gain. How many would-be faithful believers have been turned sour on God because someone that they were trusting in, someone they had put their confidence in, turned out to be human and faulty. God tells us in his word, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm chapter 118 and verse number 8. Great verse to keep as a guide. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So it is here in our text as well. In our account today, Peter is captivated. And he's amazed in verse 21. Look what the Bible says. It says, Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you suppose that Peter would have been amazed at such a thing? I mean, Peter was there when Jesus calmed the many storms on the Sea of Galilee by speaking a word. Jesus was, uh, uh, Peter was the one to boldly ask Jesus to bid him come out to walk on the water. And he did. Peter saw the many healings and feeding of the multitudes with little to no food. Why would Peter be amazed that Jesus spoke to the fig tree and here it is, withered up, just as Jesus said? Perhaps Peter still wrestled as we do from time to time with disbelief and doubt. Even after all of this, after all of the things that Peter had experienced with Jesus, walking with him in his ministry, seeing what Jesus was accomplishing. After all of this, Jesus told Peter on one occasion that Satan desired to have him to sift him as wheat. But, Jesus said, I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted. Hold on. Peter was following Jesus for almost three years and seeing all of these things. He believed that Jesus was the Christ. He said so. And Jesus said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter had believed and followed, as we said, and yet Jesus still knew the true state of his faith. So in our text today, Jesus answers Peter's exclamation with a simple and direct answer. And yet, he answers it to the whole group. Peter's the one who said, hey, look. And Jesus turned and said to them, according to verse 22, Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. Notice that there was no other build-up, there was no other banter, there was no other explanation of how or why that fig tree was withered up. There was nothing other than the answer, have faith in God. It is the only right kind of faith that we can exercise. Faith in people. Faith in things, faith in ideas, faith in, in, in whatever we put our faith in. Keep them 
in perspective. The only right and real faith that we ought to be exercising is have faith in God. And it is the very point from which everything else is made possible. Is it not? Paul exhorts us also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When we get caught up with, you know, I just this is a this is a hard problem. How on earth is God going to resolve this? When we get so caught up. With, I don't know how God's going to get me out of this, but God, you've got to get me out of this. How is he going to do this? I don't know. We sit there and we worry and we chatter and we just all kinds of things. Or, wow, how did that happen? I had this need and suddenly something came in the mail and my need was met. And how did that happen? I have to understand. Friends, when we get caught up in those things, we're wading into waters that have a very dangerous undertow. Anybody here like the beach? <laughs> you know what the undertow is, don't you? We're wading into water that have a very dangerous undertow when we get caught up like that because, one, that kind of a thought process takes our focus off of God's greatness and demeans His glory and His, able, his ability to provide. How did He do that? Because He's God. Why did He do Because He's God. Well, how is he going to do that? Because he's God, don't even worry about it. Secondly, when we get caught up like that, we open up ourselves to Satan's deception that there is always a logical explanation and that it really wasn't God at work. See, that's a lie from Satan to say that there's a reasonable explanation as to how that... Well, you were going to get that check in the mail anyway. What? You, know, you don't know that. All Satan wants to do is take glory away from God. All he wants to do is to get us distracted from putting our faith completely and wholly and absolutely in God. But Jesus goes on in our text... He doesn't leave it right there. He goes on in verse 23 to broaden their understanding of how impactive and impactful the right faith in God can be. Verse 23, Jesus says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever, not just me, not just somebody who's preaching, Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. What is the mountain that you're facing? What is the obstacle that's standing in your way? What is preventing you, what's preventing me, from an absolute faith in God for everything? Yeah, but God, you know, you're up there in the heavens and I'm down here on earth. And well, there's this. God knows that. Is God able? What is the mountain that you're facing? While you are praying about that mountain being removed, are you then going forward in faith and continuing to seek ways just to serve God in your daily life? Even through the struggle? 
Maybe you've got some kind of a mountain in front of you that you just can't get around, and maybe, I don't, I don't know what it is, maybe it's some addiction to shopping or something, I don't know. Maybe it's wasting money on something. I don't know what your mountain might be. But are you going forward in faith to try to serve God in spite of that? Now, I ask that because if we just pray, God, you've got to help me with this. You've got to do a miracle here. You've got to take this mountain away from me. And I'm going to sit right here and wait for something phenomenal to happen so that then I can go forward. Um, that's not faith. That, that, that's, that's not having faith in God that he's going to do that. That is, I'm going to wait and see. And if God does that, then, boy, my faith is going to be that much stronger. No. If we just pray and then wait for something phenomenal to happen before we do anything else that needs to be done, we're not exercising the right faith because we're adopting that I'll believe it when I see it kind of an attitude. And that's not faith. Peter said, wow, look what just happened. And Jesus said, have faith in God. The believer that has the right kind of faith in God, the absolute faith in God, will see those mountains removed, cast into the sea, and will see a way through as God provides. And they can move forward in faith. Brings us to the second point this afternoon, having the right desires. I believe here that verses 23 and 24 are two verses that I'm, I'm going to say something that might shock you a little bit. I believe verses 23 and 24 are two verses that Satan also knows and very often uses against us. Wait, wait what? Uh, Satan knows what the Word of God says. And Satan knows that he can use it against us when we're not strong enough to understand it. Verses 23 and 24, Jesus is speaking here. and says, Verily I say unto you, of course, again in 23, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, in verse 24, Jesus says, I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. This is, friends, the very heart of the name it and claim it style of prosperity preaching. It's that thought process that says, if I believe hard enough, I'm going to have what I pray for. And it's all about what I want. It's very often the misunderstood and misused basis of our prayer. And it is why people will become angry that God didn't answer my prayer. I believed it and God didn't answer it and said, I named it, I claimed it, and God left me alone. Well, having our whatsoever things you desire kind of a prayer granted, friends, it's rooted and it's based upon the uprightness of our faith in God. Not upon how much we really want something. We must understand that only those desires that are in concert with the holiness of God and his righteousness and those desires that will bring glory and honor to God 
are the desires that God will grant. James chapter 4 and verse 3 tells us plainly, Ye ask, and ye receive not. Why? Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So our desires have to be right. If we want to claim some part of Scripture and use it as a basis for our prayer, that's a great thing. But we ought to also be sure that we understand the whole counsel of the gospel as it speaks to that principle that we're claiming in prayer. We need to be upright before God. We need to have nothing between. You see, it's between you and God where the problem lies. This is why things like praying the prayer of Jabez. I, re I recited the prayer of Jabez 15 times in the last month. And you know, I'm still in the same place. He hasn't broadened my steps anywhere. He hasn't given me any kind of increase. That's why things like that are, they're not anywhere as effective as so many people hope that they are. Because they're thinking that it's some kind of a magic potion and magic words that are going to turn God's heart. God's not interested in the words. God's interested in our heart. God said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Praying for the right numbers to pick for the lottery? Oh, that is foolish. That is foolish. It's as foolish as it gets because... It does not glorify God. What happens if I happen to pick the right numbers and now I'm a bazillionaire? I can't even pronounce how many billions and millions I've got now. Have you glorified God with it? Well, if I get that lottery, I'm going to give half of that to the church. No, I'm not. You're going to give half of it to the government, first of all, and then the other half you're going to waste. Well, I can throw $100 in the church plate. Oh, that's, no, never mind. Anyway, I've got to move on from that. Praying for things like that is as foolish as it gets. It doesn't glorify God. Jesus said that it is others seeing Christ and the Spirit of God in you, causing you to do good things that brings God the glory. Where does it say that in about Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Perhaps before we begin to pray, verse 24 in our text, Jesus says here, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Before we start praying that verse, God, you said that if I believe, maybe we should start first by praying Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Try me and know my thoughts. Maybe we ought to start shoring up and strengthening verse 22 of our text. Verse 22 says, have faith in God. Maybe we ought to start strengthening and shoring up our faith in God, our true faith first. Then, as Peter wrote, the first step is, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And then he wrote again in 2 Peter, giving all diligence, add to your faith, Oh, Jesus said, have faith in God. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing. Have faith in God. Then Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. He says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. 
If you want to prosper, follow the instructions. Have faith in God. Add to your faith. So Jesus is saying to these disciples, make sure your faith is right in God. And make sure you are not always wondering or doubting God's ability or readiness to answer and to grant your requests. Then, he says, make your requests and your desires. Make sure that they are in keeping with God's honor and God's righteousness. And he says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall then have them. Bringing us to the third point that we close with today. Have rightness with others. Notice the first two words, if you would, of verse number 25 in our text. Verse number 25 simply starts with two words, says, and when. Now, why is that significant? Because it doesn't say, and if ye stand to pray. The Bible says, Jesus says, and when ye stand to pray. You see, God has an expectation that those who take the name of the Lord their God, that's Christian, he has an expectation that Christians will not abdicate or dis, uh, disobey his direct commands of pray without ceasing. The direct command of praying always with all prayer and supplication, the command of with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. The expectation, as Jesus points out, is and when ye stand to pray. Not just when times get tough, oh, maybe we ought to pray. It's every day. It's every situation. God also expects that we will, in Christ-likeness, according to the Scriptures, love others enough, even those that we think we cannot love for whatever reason, love others enough, to forgive them for whatever they may have done or whatever we may perceive that they have done to us. Look, with, look at these last two verses of our text. Jesus says, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. We might call this the final contingency. The final contingency. What does that mean? Well, it means that God may be fully ready and willing and able to grant our desires whatsoever things we request, having passed those tests that our faith is right and our desires are right, and God's ready to grant. But if we are harboring any level of unforgiveness in our hearts, if we're harboring any grudge, any kind of hardness of our, in our hearts toward anyone, then we're not fully in the right place with God, and God is prevented from fully blessing us as we desire. This goes back to praying Psalm 139. See if there be, search me, O God. Show me if there be any wicked way in me. You see, unforgiveness is a wicked way in us. And it must be resolved God's way before we can expect fully positive answers to our prayers. In fact, Jesus also says that even when we pray, just not, not even praying for something, just to pray to worship God. 
just praying as a gift of worship to God. Jesus told us that if we remember, when we come to the altar to pray, if we remember that thy brother hath aught against thee, he says, leave thy gift there before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. In other words, we will have trouble praying rightly and righteously if we have something in our hearts that we have done something to someone else, most especially to a brother or sister in the Lord. If there is anything in our hearts that prevents that full communion and that openness between God and us, we need, as Paul said, to have a clear conscience with men and, and with God. With men and with God. While Peter marveled at what Jesus accomplished by speaking to the fig tree here in our text, Jesus taught that it wasn't just because he was the Son of God. Jesus taught that anyone, whosoever is the word that he uses, can have that same relationship that allows God to grant our desires. It is between us and God. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus said, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whosoever, he says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. If they have the right faith in God, if they have the right desires, if they have the rightness with all others, Jesus says, Anyone can cause the fig tree to wither. Anyone can cause the obstacle in front of them to be completely removed and they can go forward in faith. Having the right faith, the right desires, and rightness with others enables God to do amazing things through even us. Amen? Amen. Pastor, would you close? The Apostle Paul said in the book of Acts, I do always exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and towards man. And I, I, I believe that there's anybody in an individual's life who could have had a bone to pick with a lot of different people for the way they treated him. It would have been him, but he said, I do always exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and towards man. And that's why he was able to accomplish so much in his life. He went through much, but he accomplished a lot. And it might be one of the reasons why we're not accomplishing the things that God would have us accomplish is because there's someone in our life that we have odd against. Someone that we have a bone to pick. We don't want to deal with it. We just want to have the bone, <laughs> so to speak. Well, let's get rid of those things, amen, so that God can have a clear heart and a clean heart, amen? Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together, and we thank you for... <clears throat> Brother Steve's time in prayer for the message today. And the Lord, we realize that the, the most important element in our life that glorifies you more than anything else is to have an absolute faith. And Father, we also realize that the devil knows this and that he does his best to put all sorts of hindrances in its way. So Lord, help us to recognize those uh, impediments, those things that create problems. 
so that we can have that unabide, uh, that uh, always abiding faith, that faith that will know leaps and bounds and allowing us to accomplish by faith the things that you've called us to do. And we give you the praise until we meet again. Guide and direct, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.